You're listening to the Sermon Podcast for the Peak Church, located in Apex, North Carolina. Our church is striving to welcome all who are feeling disconnected from God. And so our hope is that over the next several minutes, you will connect with the God that we are talking about, and you'll resonate deeply with the life that this God wants for you. We hope you enjoy. Well, friends, good morning again to you, and welcome back for another week in our Lenten sermon series, as you can see, entitled, Good News for Bad Christians. Good News for Bad Christians. How we are spending the several weeks of Lent leading up to Easter uh, is revisiting and uh, celebrating the good news that whenever we find ourselves off the path, not acting the way in which Christ calls us to act, when we are not good Christians, God's response to that is not to leave us, not to abandon us, but to run after us. And so if you're just tuning in for the very first time today, we've talked about a couple different examples of this. Week one, we talked about when, where, and how God pursues after us when we fall into judgmentalism. When we get a little judgy and start sort of, you know, looking at other people and sort of grouping them and dividing them and categorizing them, how God is able to reach us in those seasons. Week two, we talked about when, where, and how God reaches us when we are going through seasons of disobedience. We know what God's asking us to do. We know what God's putting on our hearts, and we just don't feel like it very much. Today, what we're going to do is we're going to continue this conversation, and we're going to talk about yet another spiritual rut that we fall into from time to time, uh, another form of sort of bad or poor Christian behavior that we fall into from time to time, and that is the behavior of hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. Very simply, hypocrisy is believing one thing, preaching one thing, and doing another. Hypocrisy. Whatever UNC fan committed yesterday after you blamed the officials all the time for game one and automatically loved all the officials after round two. But seriously, uh, this is a really, really important conversation because hypocrisy is easily, easily the thing that people hate most about and inside the church. And the tricky part It is something that every single person in this room or tuning online is guilty of at one point or another. So here's how I want to start. What I want to start with is just a couple of clarifying notes, a couple of matters of clarification, just so we're all on the same page as to what we're talking about uh, when we mention and we say this word out loud of hypocrisy. The first thing that I think is really, really important to clarify, the thing that's really, really important to clarify is, again, Every single person in this room, every single person listening to this has been guilty of hypocrisy at one point or another. Why? Because all of us are human beings. We are imperfect. We make mistakes. So is making mistakes what makes us a hypocrite? No. Actually, here's the difference. Here's the difference. The difference between simply being imperfect and simply making a mistake and falling into hypocrisy is in the cover-up. So if you make a mistake later today, when you make a mistake later today. That doesn't make you a hypocrite. It's the moment you lie about it. It's the moment you sort of shield it. No, 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 that that didn't really, don't look over there, that didn't didn't really happen. When I think about um, 
this. I think about uh, all, the, and some of you have had this experience. I think about the mentors in my life. I think about the, the bosses I've had in life who, um, have you ever had a boss like this, who whenever they make a mistake, um, when they make a mistake, it doesn't make them a bad boss. It doesn't make them a hypocrite. It's the moment that they send that email out that says, you guys just misunderstood. You don't know how to read very well. I was doing my job. I did everything I was supposed to do. So making a mistake doesn't make you a hypocrite. It's the cover-up. It's the cover-up. What's when you sort of pretend it didn't happen. So that's the first thing I want to make sure that we know and we sort of have those clear. The second thing that I want to make sure is really clear for us is there's actually two different forms of hypocrisy that we're going to get into today that we're going to sort of dissect a little bit today. There is a difference between what we might understand as active hypocrisy and passive hypocrisy. I think sometimes we have sort of like a very narrow understanding of hypocrisy. It's only those moments when we preach one thing, we believe one thing, and then we do the counter opposite. But we are also committing hypocrisy every time we preach and we believe and we post things and we fail to embody that belief. We fail to step up to the task and do what is required of us. My favorite examples of this occur in relationships. They occur in relationships. So some of you are listening here today, you're married, some of you are dating, some of you are bumbling, you're tendering, you're grinding, you're farmers only, maybe. Uh, maybe that's sort of, um, maybe that's some of our population today. And there is almost always a moment in every relationship when all of us are guilty of hypocrisy, especially when we hold our partner, we hold the person we're in relationship with to one, one sort of set of expectations, knowing darn well, I ain't doing that. I ain't going to be doing that same thing, active and passively. Like an example from my own marriage. So I'll give you an example of active hypocrisy that I committed just this week. So one of the things that I make fun of my wife for all the time <clears throat> is Marie is unable to open cereal boxes like a human being. She opens them like a hyena. They look like this every time. Rip down the sides. <laughs> the bag is open with a huge slit down the middle, so everything gets stale. And we've had a number of marriage conversations about this. We've thought about bringing in a therapist, but we're not there yet. So we have a conversation on a regular basis. Say, sweetheart, the instructions are right on the top. You just pop the one side, you pop the other side, you fold it under. It's wonderful, it's easy, and we get to save the food. It's a great, it's a win-win for everybody. Well... I was in a hurry earlier this week, and the kids were fussing at me and whatnot, and so I was in a rush, so I ran to the pantry, grabbed the box of cereal, and I opened it, and this is what we saw. Oh. So I threw it away, so Marie would never see it. No. Um, <laughs> active hypocrisy. You preach one thing, you tell somebody to do something, and you go and do the exact opposite. Now, I'm also guilty of passive hypocrisy. Passive hypocrisy. One of the things, one of the things that uh, Marie and I value in our relationship, one of the things we talk a lot about that's healthy for us is uh, committing acts of service to one another. That's something that's like really, really important to us. We, both of us, our love language is acts of service. One of them is. And so we're always trying to do for the other uh, what they don't want to do to make them sort of feel loved and thought of and all that sort of stuff. And so anyway, a couple weeks ago, I'm not feeling loved. I'm not, I'm feeling like my love tank is low. And so I'm over there bitter like... <clears throat> 
well, she's not doing acts of service for me, and so I don't want to do it for her. And so later that day, she had a really stressful week day, uh, sort of week at uh, school, and was sitting there and was like doing the sort of, so this is what Marie does when she wants a back rub. She goes, ooh. Never says anything. Oh. And I just didn't do it. Didn't fall. And in that moment, later that, late, later that evening, I was like, that's passive hypocrisy. I'm grumpy all week long that she doesn't commit acts of service for me. And then when presented with an opportunity right in front of me, I don't do it. So here's my point. Here's my point as we get started here this morning. There's nuance. There's nuance to this conversation. There's nuance to our hypocrisy. Nuances that, fortunately for us, are found in our scripture story for today. So if you have your Bibles, you're watching online, or you're here in person, go ahead and return with me back to Galatians chapter 2, because that's where we're going to be camped out here this morning, Paul's letter to the church in Galatia. And uh, to offer a little bit of context here at the jump, so uh, to offer you a little bit of uh, context so you know a little bit of what's going on uh, in that story you just heard read a couple moments ago, is uh, we're going to follow, in the course of today's conversation, we're going to follow two characters in particular. There's two characters that this story highlights. Here they are. Peter and Paul actually took these pictures off of their eHarmony profiles, so um, we're good. Peter and Paul, one commits the hypocrisy in this story, and one witnesses the hypocrisy in this story. And so what I want to do today is I actually want to follow both of them because I think what this story actually has for us is a lot of really practical wisdom, a lot of really practical guidance for how to respond to either one when we're the ones found in hypocrisy and when we are the people who are witnessing hypocrisy in our spouse, our boss, our friend, our coworker, our neighbor, someone you know and love. Sound good? All right. So to give you a little bit of backdrop, a little bit further backdrop, one of the things that's super, super important to know about the sort of religious and cultural uh, backdrop of what's happening here in Galatians is for many, many years now, the early church is struggling with one really, really big, hairy issue. In a Really simple terms, it's inclusion. It's inclusion. The early church, they're in the throes of this. They're battling this. They don't know what to do. For the longest time, it was just Jewish folks who were allowed inside the temples who were being included in God's salvific work. Now, non-Jewish folks are being allowed in. Gentiles are being allowed into God's salvific work. And the church don't know what to do with it. Some people are really passionate about it, kick the doors open, let everybody in, and some people are like, I don't know. So they're having this battle. They're having this sort of ongoing debate. And one of the ways in which Paul and Peter, who were leaders in the early church, one of the ways in which they solve it is they say this. They say, okay, so this is how we're going to work it out. We, so this was Paul and Barnabas, we're going to go minister to the Gentiles. We're going to be outside the church. So we're going to step out and go find the people who want to be included in the salvific work of God. And Peter, you can stay inside the church and just sort of like move the, gen, uh, move the Jewish folks along. Like help them see that this is God's plan, that everyone is to be included in God's love. Now, all of that was working fine and good until Antioch. So uh, they meet up in Antioch. They're having a big powwow with their friends and whatnot. And Peter comes. So again, Peter's the guy who's been inside the church working with the Jewish folks trying to bring them along. And at first, he's totally cool with the Gentiles. Like, he's hanging out with them. They're pounding shrimp. They're loving every minute. They're partying it up. They're enjoying each other. They're hugging. They're kissing. It's awesome. And then some Jewish folks show up. Some super-duper uber-religious folks show up. 
And if there's any new girl fans uh, in the house, uh, Peter does like a Nick Miller. He just just looks at this like, um, I don't really know them. I'll be over here. Like he just sort of totally avoids and neglects and abandons these Gentile believers because he doesn't want to be seen with them. He doesn't want to be cast as someone who is out welcoming the outsider. And so Paul calls him on it. Paul straight up calls him on it. And the reason why Paul calls him on it is twofold. It's because, and you know this, you already know this, why hypocrisy is so dangerous, why it is so unhealthy, is because hypocrisy not only harms you, I'm going to come to that more in a moment, it not only harms you, but it completely discredits the cause that you belong to. You don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you have ever lost trust? You've lost sort of belief. You've lost any sort of excitement about a cause, a group, a belief, a faith organization. The moment you saw the leader of that organization or a spokesperson at that organization doing counter opposite to what they've said and preached and told you what you should be doing. Everybody. All of us. That's why hypocrisy is so dangerous. You're not only hurting yourself, but you're causing tremendous harm to the cause, the movement that you're a part of. And so here's what I want to do today. Uh, Today, I want to start actually with Peter. I want to start when we are the Peters in this story, when we are the ones guilty of hypocrisy. And the first thing I think is really, really important to know, really, really important to know, is why hypocrisy happens. Here's my list. Here's my list. Here are the most common reasons for me as to why I fall into hypocrisy and why I think most of us fall into hypocrisy from at one point or another. The first of which is this. The first of which is just outright fear. Outright fear. One of the reasons why we fall into hypocrisy because we're afraid of the cost. If I really live out what I believe, if I am really true to who I am, what if it costs me something? What if it cost me this person's approval that I love and cherish so much? What if it cost me in my job? What if it cost me in success? What if it cost me in my comfort? Nope, I'm going to fit in. Another one is just sort of basic impulsivity. So maybe you're tired, maybe you're angry, you get caught up in the heat of the moment, and you do something counter to what you actually believe. But the third and final one is actually my favorite. The third and final one is actually my favorite, and I think that's the one we actually need to spend a little bit more time with this morning. The third and final reason, the cause for hypocrisy in our lives is because one of the things that we as human beings love to do is we love to equate awareness with mastery. I'm going to put that in super simple terms. We think just because I know it and I'm aware of it and I understand it, I can't be guilty of it. Not going to happen to me. Every single parent in this room knows a little something, something about what I'm saying here this morning. My favorite example of this occurs on Halloween. This is my favorite. This is the easiest example of this. Every single well-respected parent knows that uh, too much sugar is bad for you, it rots your teeth, it messes you up. And so every single Halloween night, especially young parents like myself, what we do is we get on our high horse and we tell our children, we say, Okay, you can only have two pieces of candy. 
and then maybe a half a slice of a miniature Reese's, and that's it. Because we're protecting you. Because we're good parents. And the moment they go to bed, <laughs> boom! It's a yard sale up in that mug. I literally, just a couple of years ago, told my kids they can only have a couple pieces of candy. And that night, I ate so many Sour Patch Kids that the roof of my mouth was tore up for days. Daddy, why are you talking so weird? No, no, no reason. Mm -mm, no reason. We equate, I, since I know this, I understand this, we just automatically dismiss that there's any chance that we might be guilty of it. I'll give you another example. And this is one that I know a lot of parents connect with in this room. We talk all the time. Marie and I talk all the time about sort of monitoring screen time and how are we going to handle it when they get into social media. And so we think a lot about that and we sort of try to put measures in place. This is like sort of like already to set a healthy boundary for them as to what is a healthy relationship they ought to have with screens and technology and that sort of thing. And so the first thing we did was, uh, and how many of you have done this? We chronicled how much time we spend on screens. Don't do that. Because immediately, when you start giving them all of the rules, it is pot, kettle, black, baby. Pot, kettle, black. And so, friends, one of the things I'm trying to help us understand is that this is, like, there's, again, you can put them back up there, Kevin, but there's, there's so many different reasons as to why we might fall into hypocrisy. So many. Fear of the cost. Maybe this, was, uh, maybe this was Peter's. Maybe this was Peter's. Maybe Peter was afraid of what it might cost him. He's a higher up in the church. He's a leader. He's got a lot of status. He's got a lot of recognition. And he's running through his mind, if I love these folks and if I show my, my inclusion of these folks, maybe I won't get as much opportunity to be an influence in the early church. Or maybe for you, it's just it's impulsivity. This is why I would argue Galatians chapter 5, I think, I think it's 5, uh, talks about the fruits of the Spirit, and it says, it names one of the fruits of the Spirit as self-control. That's why it's one of the fruits of the Spirit, because impulsivity has the power to throw us off course and make us do things that are counter to what we actually believe to be true. And then thirdly and finally, it's a lack of self-awareness. And so, friends, um, here's what I do. You can do what you want. Here's what I do. One of the ways in which, one of the ways in which I try really, really hard to not allow those three things to get the best of me and cause me to do things counter to who I actually want to be is the key is rigorously interrogating your motives. It's rigorously interrogating your motives. It's constantly, before you act, not just... Not just obsessing about what you do and what actions you perform, but why you want to do them. Why are you feeling this call, this nudge to act or perform in this way? Maybe it's one of those we mentioned. Maybe it's ambition. Maybe it's pride for you. And this is where I'm going to sort of make the shift and talk to you a little bit about so how it harms you, how it harms you, how hypocrisy harms you. Why rigorously interrogating our motives is so important is because, and I think of this scripture passage all the time, one of my favorite scripture passages, the one that sort of just sticks with me all the time, is uh, Proverbs chapter 27, verse 19. It says this. As water reflects the face, so a person's life reflects their heart. As water reflects the face, so a person's life reflects their heart. First time I ever heard that passage, immediately what I thought of was, um, in my world, in my life, 
I think the way that it feels most days is like this. There's an outer me, and there's an inner me, okay? In all of us, there's an outer us and an inner us. The outer you uh, is the one, it's the persona. It's the one you're trying to get everybody to see. It's the, thing that you're, it's the things that you post, it's the pictures you post, it's the statements you post, it's all the things that you uh, do in front of friends, in front of your boss, in front of your coworkers. It's the things you want people to see. It's the you you want people to see. And then there's an inner you. This contains the real you, who you really, really are. Now, for some of you, those people are one and the same. But for others of us, we constantly feel this pull especially on the precipice of hypocrisy, we feel this pull to be one thing on the outside and something entirely different on the inside. And here's why that's so dangerous. If you live that way long enough, if you live that way long enough where the outer you acts, performs, poses as one thing, while the inner you is doing something, believing something entirely different, if you do that long enough, the inner you will die. Or, at best, you'll lose them. You'll lose track of who the, who the heck am I? I know who I've been trying to get everybody else to see, but I, I actually, I've lost me. And so, rigorously interrogating your motives, why you are doing the things that you are doing, what it's doing is it's trying desperately to keep those people together. Keep them one and the same. Now I know what you're thinking. So Kyle, that's great. That's great on the prevention side. That's great on the sort of pre-hypocrisy side. What about when I've already done it? I've already committed hypocrisy. I've already separated these two people. I let the outer me get the best of me, and he or she went out there and posed and you know, put on this brilliant performance of being this one thing, but the inner person, that was not who I was. What do I do then? What do I do then? And most of the time, it's like the scripture passage. It's like what happens between Paul and Peter. Most of the time, you don't know this has happened until either you have that moment of guilt or someone calls you out on it. I had one of those uh, earlier this week. Earlier this week, one of my teammates said to me, and it wasn't a moral issue, but it was just sort of like a, a sort of a, a, a decision we made as a staff, called me and said, Kyle, you said one thing, but then you did the other thing. And what I have found about those moments, what I have found about those moments is I've got two choices, two choices. When we're confronted about our hypocrisy, we can either starve it or feed it. When you're confronted about your hypocrisy, you have two choices. You can starve it, or you can feed it. You can take away its power, or you can give it all the power. If you want to feed it, gaslight that person. Pretend it didn't happen. Lie about it. Make excuses. Pretend you didn't hear them. If you want to starve it, Scripture is actually super clear about this. First John chapter 1 says this. It says... Um, you can go ahead and put it on the screen, Kevin. If we claim we don't have any sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. So again, that's hypocrisy. But if we confess our sins, he, being God, is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins, cleanse us from everything we have done wrong. 
if you want to starve it, you better drum up as much humility as you can find. Confess what you did and make amends. So you can get back to unifying the outer and the inner you. Now, before we wrap up, before we wrap up, uh, I want to talk about uh, the other side of the coin. I want to talk about the other side of the coin. So that's when we are the person in hypocrisy. What about when we witness it? What's the faithful reaction? What's the faithful response when we see someone else, someone we know, someone we love, someone we respect? What do we do when we witness their hypocrisy? And I'm going to talk about this only briefly because, honestly, we talked about this at length two weeks ago during the sermon on judgmentalism. That, in whole, that whole sermon was uh, an attempt to protect us from just becoming another version of hypocrite where we walk out into the world and say, gosh, I hate judgmental people. Judgmentalism is so dumb, and that person over there is guilty of it. So, like, again, you're just becoming the very thing that you hate. So go and listen to that if you missed that one from a couple weeks ago. But I do want to say two things. I do want to say two things. Two pieces of advice, two pieces of wisdom that I think we get from Scripture that help us. Uh, help inform how we ought to react and respond when someone we know and love has just committed hypocrisy. The first of which is this. The first of which, the first be- the piece of wisdom, the first piece of advice uh, that I think uh, we have to as Christians embody is when you find someone guilty of hypocrisy, don't lead with the call out. Don't start with the call out. One of the things that we know about Peter and Paul's relationship is they've known each other for a long time. Paul earned the right to talk that way to Peter. He didn't just meet him five minutes ago and go, hypocrite. No, he knew him. Go back to the scriptures. So go back to, so Galatians chapter 1 verse 8 says this. After three years, I went up to Jerusalem, and another translation says he met Peter for the very first time. This is when Paul and Peter very first met. Then Galatians 2 verse 1 says, then after 14 years, I went up to Jerusalem again with Barnabas and met up with Peter. So These folks know each other. They got a relationship. Most likely, Paul has brought this up to Peter before. It's like, yo, like when you dip out of every party, you're kind of sending the impression that you don't like him. Oh, yeah, I know. You said you had to go to the bathroom. I know, I know. (laughs) You said that last time. Okay, don't do that anymore. And the reason why we know this is because this is what Jesus requires of us. What does Jesus say in Matthew chapter 18? You got beef with somebody. When you got beef with somebody, follow these steps. First, go to them. Go and correct them when you are alone together. Secondly, take with you one or two others. And then thirdly, report it to the church. And then fourthly, you start talking about what boundaries you might need to put up between you and them, us and them. So don't lead with the call out. I get it. I get it. That's the culture we live in right now especially the, the effects that cancel culture is having on every single realm. And I'm not one of those people that says that we shouldn't hold people and groups and CEOs and those things responsible. But I think one of the things that I get scared of is when I start watching Christians and their immediate reaction is to cancel a relationship they had with somebody on the basis of one act of hypocrisy, one mistake, one imperfection. Sweet Jesus. Which leads to the second. 
Second piece of advice that scripture has for us today, uh, whenever you find someone uh, living in hypocrisy, uh, you actually find in Ephesians chapter 4, it says that whenever that moment comes and you sit down with them and it's time to talk to them and it's time to have an honest and a crucial and a critical and probably an awkward conversation, you need to make sure that you speak the truth in bitterness. Oh, nope, I'll try again. Speak the truth in a lot of passive aggressivism. Woo! That one's fun. Speak the truth and make them feel as bad about themselves as humanly possible. Yeah, baby, yeah. Get back. Speak the truth and make them feel the pain that they caused me. Yeah, baby. When you do it, when you have that conversation, you better make sure your driving motivator is love. Not close here. I'm going to be vulnerable for a moment and say that maybe, maybe the reason why I'm also so gung-ho about this is because if you think about it, if you think about it, Every week, I'm the biggest hypocrite in this room. Every week. Every week, I get up and I preach things that I want to do. I talk about someone I really, really want to be. But if you hang around me, you'll know that I fail to do it. I don't do it perfectly. This is why, actually why I love uh, Lauren Winter. So Lauren Winter was one of my uh, seminary professors uh, and she uh, converted to uh, Christianity later in life. And one time she was interviewed, and I love this. She was interviewed one time uh, by some Christian magazine or whatever. And they said, hey, Lauren Winter, so like, as we kick things off, I like, would love to learn more about you. Like, when did you first become a Christian? And she goes, oh, I'm still becoming one. I love that. Because that's me. That's me. So it, I, I'm serious. If you leave here today and you're looking for a different pastor, like you, you'd rather have a pastor who's already a Christian, already arrived, I might, I'll help you try to find uh, that person out there, but that's not me. That's not me. I'm still becoming one every daggone week. And so my challenge to you is not if, but when. Not if, but when. When I let you down. When I do something that, or you see me, or you hear me say something, it's like, I just, that feels like it's counter to what we have always said and believed. Or when, not if, when you witness other people in this church doing that very thing. I want to invite you into something different. If you've been spending so much of your life just sort of keeping track of like, uh, hypocrite, okay, can't be friends with him. Uh, hypocrite, can't be in community with him. If you're doing that and you're playing that game and you want to play a different one, I'm going to invite you into a different one that I think Jesus is calling us to play. And it requires two commitments from you. You ready? Two commitments. Here they are. The first of which is when confronted, whenever you are confronted on your own hypocrisy, Christians, followers of Jesus, do everything in their power to hear. Hear. That's the hardest one. Actually hear it. And address it. So that's the first commitment I'm inviting you to take today before you leave. The second is when you witness it, when you witness it, when you see it in me, when you see it in each other, when you see it with friends or family, 
Resist the urge to take the easy way out and say, oh, imperfect, and they lied about it, never talking to them again. Do the harder thing. Do the more faithful thing. And confront them with love. Give them a freaking second chance. Lord knows people have offered you one, two, multiple along the way. And just remember this. If the first one is harder for you, like you're of the two, you're like looking at these, you're like, second one, yeah, that's fine. Uh, first one, nope. Uh, if the first one is harder for you, I want you to remember this. I want you to remember this. If you resist correction long enough, if you resist the people in your life who confront you and they call you out in love, if you resist correction long enough, Scripture says that something happens to you. It's called, it, uh, the Bible warns against hard-heartedness. The more you resist correction, the harder you'll become and the more impossible it becomes to change. So just know, every time you resist that, you're going down a road that gets harder and harder to turn back from. And if the second one is harder for you, confronting with grace, mercy, love, compassion, just remember, you're going to need that same grace, mercy, and compassion probably sooner than you think. Maybe even today. Thank you for listening to The Peak Podcast. Make sure you subscribe wherever podcasts can be found. For more information on how to get connected with our church, please visit us at thepeakchurch.org.